All right, well, open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 14, and I'll read basically the second half of chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. The church and the fellowship that we enjoy together here at Trinity Bible Church is not an afterthought to the gospel message being uh, received uh, and uh, believed. In fact, the church is not even a corollary to the gospel message growing up alongside of it, but the church is in many ways instead the aim, the goal, uh, the target of the gospel message. And so the gospel message brings about the church. That is, it brings about a community of believers walking in fellowship together and with each other and with the triune God and striving together while in the world to spread the gospel to others, to include them uh, in the church uh, as well, striving together in tangible ways, such as sending a missionary to Spain. And that's what Paul wanted this church that he's writing to in Rome uh, to be uh, involved in. And so what Paul tells the Roman church, the church that's in Rome, uh, what he tells them in chapters 14 and 15 in this uh, divisive uh, uh, matter or potentially divisive uh, matter of, um, of uh, things that are causing uh, a division, what he writes them here in order to shore up unity, to ward off the spread of uh, disunity, in what he writes them, he doesn't forget the gospel message that he's been preaching all along and presenting in a, in a very uh, careful way in uh, uh, Romans in the previous chapters, but rather he incorporates it in what he's saying. He applies it, and uh, it's it's almost targeted uh, to deal with this uh, problem that he deals with here at the end of, uh, of the letter. If the church is to be a church and not to degenerate into something else like uh, a social club, then the content of the gospel must characterize the relationships between the people. The content of the gospel has to characterize the relationships uh, uh, between us for the church to be 
the church. And the reason for that is because the content of the gospel not only tells you how to avoid hell and how to get to heaven, although it does that, it certainly does uh, that, but it, it not only does that, but it presents to you the character of the triune God. You learn that through the gospel. In fact, that's the only way that you learn the character of the triune God is uh, through uh, believing uh, the gospel. So if we're called into that fellowship with God, into the tr- fellowship with the triune God together, and that's the point of uh, the gospel, then we must relate to each other the way in which the persons of the Trinity relate to one another. Our relationship with each other must breathe the same spirit that takes place in uh, the Trinity. And so the gospel message itself protects the church from disunity and from uh, division. In fact, that's uh, uh, the aim, the point of the gospel message. And I think that's why Paul got out his pen and ink and wrote this masterpiece of the gospel in uh, the first place. That's why he began to write and say and tell the Christians that were in Rome, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's because of the problem in this chapter, I think was in his mind from the start. And he knew he wouldn't be done until he applied everything that he was writing to this problem, to this problem that threatened to uh, destroy the church and sideline the church from the advance of, uh, of uh, the gospel. And so I think uh, this problem, far from being uh, just a, an afterthought, oh, well, I'll, I'll just apply the gospel to, to this uh, problem that just came to my mind. I think it was per- perhaps Paul's reason why he wrote this gospel in the first place is to address uh, this uh, this problem. And what was the problem that he addresses? We, we uh, already opened it last time together when we looked at chapter 14. But what was this problem that he uh, addressed that was threatening the unity of the church? Well, there were two types of Christians in Rome, and the friction between the two of them was what made them prone to disunity and even to division. And Paul describes these two types of Christians as the strong in faith and the weak in faith. And uh, he describes them in that way. What does he mean by that? Well, uh, those that he describes as strong in faith rightly believed that they were free in Christ to eat anything, to eat any food. That's their right in that. Uh, and also, they were free in Christ not to observe special holidays, to regard every day as uh, the same, all created by God, all belonging to God, and uh, to not observe one day above another, to not observe any special days of the year. Those are the strong in faith. The weak in faith, uh, on the other hand, wrongly, mistakenly, believe that God expected them not to eat certain foods, even commanded them not to eat uh, certain foods. Uh, They wrongly believe that, but sincerely believe that. And they also uh, believed wrongly, but sincerely, that God expected them to observe certain holidays above another. And so they uh, observed certain days of the year and they ate, Paul describes them here as eating only vegetables. They didn't eat meat. They're afraid they're going to eat the wrong thing. You know, so they only ate uh, 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 vegetables. That, divi- that uh, it's, it shouldn't be a division, but that those two different ki- types of believers, true believers that were there uh, in Rome, I think corresponds roughly to Jewish believers and Gentile believers, because when we get to chapter 15, where Paul's still talking about that, he does talk about how in the church there's unity between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, and between Jew and Gentile together, and that's a big purpose of the church is to demonstrate that unity. So this does relate to, and probably that difference roughly corresponds to uh, Jewish believers that the weak 
in faith tended to be Jewish believers who had grown up that way. You know, not eating certain foods, observing certain holidays, and that was really important uh, to the, to what they believed about God. And so the weak, I think, tended to be Jewish believers, and the strong tended to be Gentile believers. I say it roughly corresponds and tends to be this way because Paul himself was Jewish, and he was strong in faith. He knew he could eat anything and didn't have to observe uh, uh, certain days, and he was Jewish. And his epistle to the Galatians indicates that Gentiles could take on these Jewish uh, things uh, as well and become what he would call weak in the faith. In fact, the problem in there was even more severe in the, his epistle to the Galatians because the mainly Gentile believers were not only weak in faith, observing uh, uh, days and this uh, sort of thing, but they were doing the very thing that Paul warned the weak not to do, and that is defining the boundaries of the church and so also the boundaries of salvation, because that uh, matches the boundaries of uh, the church around these false restrictions. And so uh, that was a great problem, and it was a problem with Gentile believers there in Galatia. But roughly, uh, perhaps a difference between uh, Jewish and Gentile believers uh, was involved, at least, in this uh, 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 difference. You'll notice that Paul spends lots of time on this very specific problem in Rome. It's the most specific instruction in the whole uh, epistle, so specific that it's hard to exactly figure out what the specific problem was. You have some that are only eating vegetables. Why are they doing that? Um, and so he addresses a very uh, specific problem. We can certainly extrapolate principles out of that uh, about other things that are not sins, not for, neither forbidden nor uh, commanded, but that some Christians have scruples uh, about and might even argue uh, that those things are commanded if you put scriptures together and, and practice what's obvious to them according uh, uh, to uh, wisdom. And so you can extrapolate uh, uh, for the, towards those things that actually because of that become controversial among brothers. So you have Christians in the congregation, some who practice one thing and some who practice another thing. And it can be if it's approached wrongly, if it's not approached biblically, it can be a threat to unity. Uh, that uh, can be a temptation to senseless division that uh, dishonors uh, Christ. So uh, Paul, uh, even everything that he's written, even about the Christian life, tends to be sort of general. Um, but here he's dealing with a very specific uh, problem. Well, verse 13 in the middle of this uh, chapter is a good hinge, a good transition from Paul's concern in the first half of this chapter chapter 14, where he's addressing the same problem, to his concern in the second half. Um, or let me say it a different way. It's a good transition, verse 13, from the negative responsibilities of this situation to the positive responsibility of this uh, situation. And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by the negative responsibilities? Well, for the strong, and this is what he's been talking about in the first part of chapter uh, 14, the negative responsibility is don't despise. Don't despise the weak. Don't do that. Don't do that. That was what Paul's talking about. And for the weak, for those who are weak in faith, their negative responsibility, the thing that they're not supposed to do is not to judge. And so uh, each one was uh, prone to that. The strong were tempted to despise the weak in faith who had these scruples that they didn't share in. The strong were tempted to despise them as uh, sort of killjoys, I, I suppose, uh, so that they would say... Uh, 
want to do something together with them. And out of the blue, they hear that, they, that uh, this uh, other believer has uh, uh, believes that that would be wrong uh, for them to do. And, and uh, they, they can't even imagine why. So you can imagine the strong from uh, the congregation in Rome say, saying to a fellow believer, well, let's do something. Today, I'd like to do something together with you. And the person saying, well, I can't. Why not? Well, because it's a Jewish holiday today, don't you know? It's a it's a, a Jewish holiday. I need to obey the Lord and uh, practice this. And the the uh, other believer, the strong in faith, having no idea about why well, I didn't know it was that today, you know, and uh, uh, despising that person for that, or say, hey, I'd like to treat you to a, a dinner, and it's going to be a steak dinner. You're going to love it. In fact, it's a pork uh, dinner, you know, and uh, and well, I don't eat that. Um, it's wrong. It would be wrong for me to eat uh, that. And so there's a temptation of the strong to the weak to despise the weak and then a temptation of the weak toward the strong to judge them to see them doing those things see them not not observing the uh, special days on the calendar being totally oblivious uh, to that not observing food laws eating whatever uh, comes comes to them and saying well they're sinning they're sinning against the lord by doing that and uh, judging them and so the first half of the um, chapter which we looked at last time paul presented the negative responsibilities to both of them in this situation. And it is uh, for the strong, don't despise your weaker brother. And to the weak, don't judge your uh, stronger brother. And it's pretty clear cut. Those are the uh, responsibilities uh, for them. But here uh, in verse 13, Paul shifts from the negative to the positive. And he does it by way of a pun. Paul's not above using puns. Let me read it. Uh, It says, therefore, let us not judge one another, and that's the word he's going to use as a pun, judge. Let us not judge one another anymore. And that's specifically what he told the weak not to do to the strong. Don't judge them. But um, the strong despising the weak is maybe its own kind of judgment as well. So it might be included in that. Therefore, let us not judge one another, but rather judge this. Now he's going to present the positive responsibility. Judge this. If you want to be judging so much, use your judgment skills to judge this. And this is a positive responsibility. Not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And it turns out this positive responsibility, figure out how not to make yourself and your practices a stumbling block and an obstacle to your brother. It turns out that positive command rests totally, I think, on the shoulders of the strong. The positive command is for the strong towards the weak. And that's the rest of... Chapter 14 is going to talk about this additional responsibility of the strong not to be a stumbling block and to put an obstacle in the way of the weak. And so the last part of verse 13 could be a a title for the whole message. The whole message is going to be about not putting an obstacle or a stumbling block in a a brother's way. And that's what the whole rest of the chapter is about. Let me say the same thing in a different way. There's one responsibility for the weak. Don't judge. Don't judge. And it's a negative responsibility. It's an important responsibility, and Paul's already given that in uh, the first half of chapter 14. But there's two responsibilities for the strong. Don't despise. That's another negative uh, one. It's the corresponding one, and it's also equally important not to despise for the strong, not to despise uh, the weak. But they have another, the strong have another responsibility. They have two responsibilities as well, and that is figure out how not to offend. Figure out how not to be a stumbling block. And that's what the rest of chapter 14 is about. So uh, Paul's going to cover this responsibility of the strong towards the weak 
in verse 14 to 18, and then he's going to cover it again. He's going to put a second coat of paint on it in verse 19 to 21, mostly saying the same thing, but just driving it home. And then he's going to draw a conclusion in verse 22 through 23. And he begins uh, speaking of this uh, responsibility of the strong not to be a stumbling block to uh, a brother in verse 14. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything is to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And so Paul begins this section by voicing actually the conviction of the strong and saying, that's what I'm convinced of too. Uh, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. The strong can say that along with Paul, but we couldn't. We didn't understand that, uh, but they're hearing it here uh, from Paul as the uh, letter of Romans is read uh, for them. And this would be something that would have been hard for Paul to come to, actually. Paul had a Pharisee background. Uh, he grew up observing all the holidays and all the food laws and feeling pretty strongly about it and, and wanting others to do it as well. Um, and so this was something that Paul had to learn. He had to learn, and it was probably as hard for him as it was for Peter uh, to learn this, and uh, he learned it in Christ. That's the only, the, it's Christ that showed him that all these things are, are merely to point to uh, Christ. They're not uh, timeless uh, moral uh, principles. In fact, the Lord taught that what defiles a person is not what comes into his mouth. It's not things that defile a person. It's what comes out of his heart. That's what defiles uh, a man. And uh, in, in teaching this, he also declared all foods to be clean. So... Um, and, and the uh, food restrictions were for the Old Testament uh, uh, times. So Paul was uh, convinced in uh, the Lord Jesus that nothing, no food is in clean in itself. And so Paul begins by expressing the conviction of the strong. And you might say, well, you know, the weak shouldn't have had to hear if we're going just to shoot right down the middle and, and make everything fair for everybody. You know, they shouldn't have to hear the conviction of the strong that they don't agree with as they're reading uh, the book of Romans. Well, Paul disagrees. He, he wants them to hear the conviction of the strong uh, because it's true. And, and Paul knows it and convinced of it in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself. So they're to hear it, but here's the key. Here's the key, and here's why it's okay for them uh, to hear it, hear the opposite uh, point of view, is that the weak are not sinning when they practice their own conviction, when they practice the food laws, when they practice the holiday uh, and do that uh, because they think that the Lord uh, commands them to do that, they're not sinning. In fact, they're pleasing Christ when they do that, when they do that and they do it with a thankful attitude and they thank the Lord. And uh, he's uh, told, told them that already in the first part of uh, chapter 15. In fact, the weak would be sinning against Christ if they started behaving like the strong uh, without thinking the same thing, without being convinced, without without also learning the, the same thing that the Apostle Paul had learned if they just started to do it because, well, everybody else is doing it, so I'm going to do it too. They would be sinning if they did that. And so Paul uh, explains that. And uh, as they practice something different from the strong and think something different from the strong, they're accepted as a brother. They're accepted as a brother. They're not told that they're sinners. They're accepted as a brother. And so Paul explains to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. They're, they're right in a sense. Uh, even though they're not uh, right in what uh, they believe, they're right for uh, themselves. And that should be honored as they are honored as, uh, as uh, a brother. 
Well, there are circumstances where the strong need to practice the same restraint as uh, the weak. And Paul talks about that in verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And uh, for the second time in our passage, he calls the weaker believer a brother. A brother, and that's important. The weaker believer, he's not your enemy. He's not even your associate. He's not even your neighbor. He's your brother. And so he uses the closest um, the closest term uh, for uh, this person, for uh, the weaker brother. And he says, if because of your practice of food, the strong eating whatever you want because of food, if your brother is grieved, if your brother is uh, hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. You're no longer walking according to love. You're not only, you're not walking according to what characterizes this whole fellowship that we're called into because God is love. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul says uh, in another place, if you speak with the tongue of men and angels, if you have the greatest accomplishment uh, in the world and have the greatest gift and, and the greatest amount of devotion to Christ and have not love, it's nothing. It's a nothing to God uh, if there is not uh, love in it. And so someone who practices the strong, who he he doesn't despise his brother, He's, he's practicing that negative responsibility, but he eats the way he practices and eats. He eats in such a way that grieves uh, his brother, causes him to stumble and may even destroy him. He's going to use that uh, later. Then he's not walking according to love. And he says, do not destroy with your food, with your practice of food, him for whom Christ died. And so there's times when the strong must practice with their food, the restrictions or circumstances in which the strong must and must be willing to and must do uh, to practice the restrictions of the weak. Um, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And so uh, that's the way Christ views these uh, brothers is he died uh, for them. Just as a little bit of a side note, this could be seen as a, and it is an argument for a limited atonement. Christ didn't die for everyone. He's talking about those who um, are in the church uh, together, and, and he's teaching about something else here. But he describes those in the church as those for whom Christ died. There's the atonement has been made. There's nothing else uh, to pay, and uh, so Christ's death is to be preached to all who have believed. But uh, he he died for those who are his own and those who uh, the Father chose before uh, the foundation of uh, of the earth. Well, what does Paul mean? And this is kind of a key question, so I'm going to stick with it for a minute. What does Paul mean by your brother being grieved? Eating in such a way that your brother is being grieved or eating in such a way that causes an offense? He uses that word or a different word. It means the same thing, putting a stumbling block in front of your uh, brother, or also he uses it to destroy. Don't, don't, don't eat in such a way that's going to destroy. It's going to ruin uh, your brother. And so what does Paul mean by this, by causing offense, by being a stumbling block, by your eating, by grieving your brother, and by potentially uh, destroying uh, your brother? Does he mean don't cause your brother annoyance? Is that what he means uh, by that? Is that a good reason to limit your freedom? Is by your eating, you know that you would annoy uh, your brother who would wish that everybody was doing the same thing, everybody taking the same burden, everybody uh, practicing uh, the same way. Is that what Paul means by this responsibility of the strong to the weak? You need to uh, practice the restrictions the same as uh, your brother's if uh, what you do is an annoyance to your brother. John Murray, who um, 
is a, a good teacher of the 20th century and a commentator wrote on this passage. He says it goes without saying that Christian courtesy will often dictate abstinence from certain freedoms out of deference to the wishes of others, especially of Christian brethren we love in the Lord. Considerateness for what is even petty and capricious on the part of others is oftentimes a virtue. You know, and so he's saying, even you know, there's times when somebody even expects you to do something absurd, and just because you love them, you restrict your uh, freedoms. He goes on to say, with great emphasis, that although that's true, that's not what Paul's talking about here. That's definitely not what Paul means when he talks about grieving your brother, causing your brother to stumble, being an offense to your brother, or destroying. Uh, your brother. And so we uh, can and should, I think, just automatically adjust people's expectations if we can, even for absurd uh, reasons. And that's a, a part of virtue. But it's not its not the specific responsibility that Paul is uh, speaking of here for the strong to practice the same restrictions as the weak in certain uh, situations. Nor is he specifically talking about, and uh, John Murray makes this point in what he writes about it, this as well, nor is he specifically talking about limiting your freedoms because of you're protecting a brother who is given to excess in that area. And he used the example of drinking and some, somebody coming out of a background before they were saved of being an alcoholic. You know, it's probably a better part of wisdom not to practice your freedom uh, to drink alcohol that you have uh, as a Christian in certain situations where that person who might be given to excess um, and maybe has just totally sworn off uh, drinking uh, uh, at all. Uh, it's a sensitivity, and it also kind of goes without saying that uh, to limit your freedom in that uh, situation. No Christian ought to be unwilling to limit their freedom uh, to have alcohol in some uh, situations for that uh, very reason. But again, that's not exactly what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about those who are given to excess. That's not the situation that he's uh, speaking of uh, here. Those who were restraining from vegetables weren't prone to excess if they started eating meat. That wasn't uh, the specific uh, problem uh, for them. He's talking about a responsibility to the weak, and they're actually weak in a couple of ways. They're weak in the sense that their conviction isn't true. I mean, it's not a real conviction that the Lord actually lays upon them. They think that it is, but it's not, and so they're weak in faith in that way. But weak in a second way, too, weak in the conviction itself. So that if they see somebody practicing and see especially people that they look up to, Christians that they look up to, practicing uh, something different, they're not very firm in that conviction. And they're liable to just imitate uh, what others are doing without even uh, thinking through it and, and reluctantly break their conscience and then feel guilty before God. And then that guilt spiraling into uh, uh, sort of bondage to Satan again uh, through that and, and uh, not living in uh, uh, the life of faith that we are uh, to live in because uh, of that specific uh, uh, situation. And so the, what he says to the strong is, if the weak is going to practice the same thing as you, they need to understand first. They, not need, they shouldn't be pressured into it by just watching you uh, doing what they believe is wrong and then sort of just being pressured into uh, uh, doing that. So it's a very specific situation. And a situation that's very important to Paul, that comes up in his mind more often than you might think. Uh, so, for example, in another letter, he uh, writes about a similar 
situation. It's not the same situation, but it's a similar situation. You'll, you'll recognize, um, how similar it is. First Corinthians chapter eight, verse eight. Food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone who sees you, who have knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? For through your knowledge, he who is weak is ruined, the brother for whose sake Christ died. And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. This isn't the same situation. It's because the weak in this situation are not Jewish believers who are holding on to their background, but it's actually pagan uh, believers who are overreacting to renouncing their uh, background. And so um, the pagan temples like they had in Corinth were used for pagan worship, but they were also just large buildings that were used almost like a community uh, center and were almost used as uh, uh, like a restaurant. And so Christians could be seen dining uh, in an idol's temple who were strong, who recognized that uh, an idol is uh, a nothing and be a stumbling block in their behavior to a uh, a, a new Christian who is uh, a pagan and, and thought he needed to renounce not just idolatry itself, but every connection to uh, idolatry. And so the stronger to be sensitive, uh, they're actually to refrain in, the, in that situation uh, from doing that, lest they destroy uh, and hurt the conscience of the weak in that specific way. And it's the same specific way that Paul is uh, concerned about in here in um, uh, Romans uh, as well, a very specific uh, circumstance. Uh, let me just say a couple of other things about what it's not. Um, the responsibility of the strong towards the weak should not be used to, in effect, Make the weak person the Pope, <laughs> you know, so that, uh, the, or, or a help to someone who wants to be the Pope, who wants to substitute the word of men for the word of God. And so the opinion of, uh, the scruples of the weak should not become church policy for, through the back door, through this responsibility of the strong to the weak to define the limits of the church around the practices of the weak. So you can't be a part of the church. You can't be a part of the church. Um, without being told you're sinning against your responsibility to the weak unless you practice everything that the weak uh, believes. And the church is going to be defined around the, uh, that and salvation, which should match uh, the boundaries of the church, will in effect be uh, defined around that. Paul opposed that. When that started happening in Galatians, Paul says, I didn't stand for that for one minute. And the leader that was involved in that, the respected leader that was involved in that, Paul says, I rebuked him publicly. I rebuked him to his face for not being straight with the gospel. Um, and that was Peter himself. And so that was a helpful thing for Peter because Peter sort of got incrementally uh, brought uh, in uh, to that. And so the, this uh, teaching is not to be used uh, in that way. And a second thing, and I'll, I'll drop what it's not, but uh, is uh, it's not to be used where pe two people are making an opposite decision and they both feel conscience bound to that. And they're both walking in love. They're both doing it for others, but they're, they're using a different uh, calculation. Life in this sin-cursed world is not simple, and especially when you come under pressure. And so there's a lot of things that uh, one does that may hurt someone in one way and hurt less uh, in another way. And uh, so it takes wisdom to navigate all that. In fact, the book of Proverbs is about that, navigating all those in the situation and it's applied uh, differently. Some of the book of some of the Proverbs cut directly against each other 
like uh, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you become like him. And so when you answer a fool according to his folly, you descend to his level, and that's a harm that you cause. But when you don't answer him, then you, you go along with him thinking that he's wise, and that's another harm that you cause. So either way, you're going to uh, do a harm, and you're trying to do more good than harm by navigating that situation. And so it could be an identical situation where one feels conscience-bound to answer a fool according to his folly, and the other evaluating it slightly differently or just having a different relationship to the whole situation uh, has the opposite point of view and decides that it pleases the Lord not to answer the fool or the opposite of uh, the other person in that situation. And they're both pleasing the Lord. They're both conscience-bound to do it in that way. And they're both walking not uh, for themselves, but walking uh, according to love. And in in that situation, uh, they both should tolerate one another they should they should uh, walk uh, together as as uh, as much as they can uh, and so that's not uh, the situation that Paul is speaking of here he's speaking of a very specific um, situation so he continues um, therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil and the good thing that he's talking about is liberty the freedom that a Christian has to eat anything to observe not to observe uh, certain days over uh, uh, another that's a good thing, but you're not to use it to destroy the conscience of the weak so that it would not only be spoken of as evil, but rightly spoken of as evil because it's actually being uh, misused. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in uh, uh, the Holy Spirit. And so Paul uh, speaks of uh, the rain, he speaks of the reign of God and the kingdom of uh, God. And uh, this is one reason I say he's incorporating what he's been talking about, about his presentation of uh, the gospel throughout uh, Romans, because this part sounds especially like Romans chapter 5. And I'll read just the first two verses of that, but it mentions um, the same thing, righteousness and peace. And then it goes on to talk about joy. Therefore, having been justified, being declared righteous, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained this introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the glory of God. And it goes on to speak about that joy. And so Paul's been writing about a, a reign of grace um, that uh, uh, in which a sinner is declared righteous and has peace with God and there's joy uh, that comes out of that. He called that a kingdom. He called that a reign as you go on in uh, chapter 5, and he called it the reign of grace. Um, and he went on to point out that uh, grace is the only thing that can reign where sin and death once reign. He says that at the end of chapter 5, as sin reigned in a kingdom, that's the same word there, in death, even so grace will reign in a kingdom through righteousness, to eternal life, through Jesus uh, Christ our Lord. And so... Uh, the reign of Christ, according to uh, the gospel, is the reign of grace. It's the reign of giving others what they don't deserve. It's a reign of not being absorbed by selfish interests, but uh, it being absorbed by giving to uh, others. And so Paul reminds the uh, Romans that this responsibility of the strong to the weak is the outworking. In fact, it's almost the target of um, 
the whole reign of grace that he's been talking about at the, one of the most important parts in this epistle that unpacks uh, the gospel. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness like justification by faith and peace with God and with one another and joy in uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, some have used this, uh, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking to say, well, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with eating and drinking because God isn't concerned with physical things. He's concerned with uh, spiritual things. Well, that's not true. God is God is concerned with eating and drinking. Christ ate a piece of fish to demonstrate to the disciples what his resurrected body was like and what ours is going uh, to be like. We eat and drink uh, communion. So eating and drinking is is often appropriate and important even in uh, the kingdom of God. But they're not important for themselves. They're not important in themselves like as the end-all be-all, eating something or drinking something. They're, all, they're, they're always subservient to something else. But these things are important in themselves. Righteousness, being declared righteous to God by faith, and peace, important. Those, that's the main thing, and joy. And so uh, the um, Romans are to practice in their eating and uh, drinking in such a way that that is in keeping with this reign of grace that the gospel is all about. And this responsibility of the strong and the weak is a perfect fit. Uh, for this reign of grace, the kingdom of God, what this whole epistle is about is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit for he who in this way serves Christ. And this is a word for a slave. And uh, he's talked in uh, also in Romans about how we are to serve uh, as a slave uh, to the Lord. But it's a it's a slavery that's informed by grace. And so it's totally transformed uh, from anything that the world thinks of as uh, slavery. And yet it's called uh, by that name. He who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved uh, by men. And so uh, the whole the whole thrust of this gospel message and what it says about Christ the King uh, and, and the gospel fits into and, and is uh, the foundation for this responsibility, the specific responsibility of the strong to the weak. Well, in verse 19 through 21, Paul covers the same uh, material, but he gives it uh, kind of a, a second coat. He's still talking about the same thing, and that is the responsibility of the strong not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in the brother's way. He doesn't cover anything really new in these verses, but if anything, he states it more strongly and, and in a more sweeping way. So then we pursue the th- things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And so we're to pursue peace and edification, especially in this responsibility of the strong towards the weak. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. And he said uh, earlier, don't destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. And now he says, don't oppose the work of God. God's doing a work in your brother. And uh, the work involves your brother having a clear conscience, a clean conscience. And so don't, based on what you do uh, with your food, ruin that work. It's a delicate work that God's accomplishing in that person and you're to tread carefully and certainly not to try to overthrow the work that God is doing just for the sake of uh, food. He says again, uh, all things are clean. All things indeed are clean. And he's back to the conviction of the strong. The weak need to uh, hear this uh, again. All things are, are clean, but they're evil for the man who eats and who gives uh, offense. And so... Um, all things, foods are good. They're created by God to be enjoyed with uh, thanksgiving. But that's not the last word on them. They're used by persons and uh, even used by imperfect persons. And so it's not the only thing to consider, just the inherent goodness of the things that are used. 
but the effect that it's going to have uh, on others. And so all things are clean, but Paul doesn't just say they're unclean for the man who eats and gives offense, but they're actually evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So he puts it very strongly. You can, you can uh, eat even something that's very neutral and it's evil because of the effect that it has on uh, someone else. And so this is a strong way of presenting the responsibility of the strong to the eat. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine, to run into this responsibility of the strong in every situation that you find yourself in, run into it again and again so that you don't eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles. And Paul says this uh, could be good uh, if this uh, if this happens. And then he leads to the conclusion in verse uh, 22 and in verse uh, 23. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God, whether it's strong faith that enables you to eat anything or weak faith that says that uh, eating certain things are wrong. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction. Before God, Paul Paul isn't really zealous about changing the uh, opinion of the weak. He, he's letting that happen in time. Uh, he teaches the same thing as the strong in faith, but he says to each one, "Have the faith that you have as your own conviction uh, before God." It's important for you, each one, not to violate their conscience in that. And so he says it a different way: "Happy is he, blessed is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves, including the weak." including the weak, who condemns himself by defiling his conscience and what he approves, or including the strong, who might condemn himself um, by what he approves because it causes his brother to stumble. And so uh, Paul says to be careful, and blessed is the one who's careful in uh, what he approves in this way. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. And so here he explains why uh, the weak might be sinning, by eating something that his conscience tells him is uh, wrong because he eats it uh, doubting. It's not so much uh, because he uh, eats against his conscience, although that is certainly true as well, but Paul says it's because his eating is not of faith. A work of faith comes from faith. It comes from faith. Faith in believing that God is pleased with you and, and, and uh, following uh, in faith what God uh, has commanded you to do. And God is concerned with the motives. He's not just concerned with the bare actions. And so in the judgment seat, on um, and the uh, judgment seat of Christ, the secrets of the hearts are going to be revealed. God's not just concerned about the action. He's concerned about the motive that goes behind it. And he wants the motive to be faith. And what pleases the Lord is works that come from faith. And so the weak who, against his better judgment, goes along with the, the strong condemns himself because his eating is not from faith. It's not an outworking of uh, faith in Christ and knowing that he's forgiven of his sin and living in that, in that uh, and obeying the Lord in that light. And so he uh, condemns himself in that way. Well, this matter, as, as small and narrow a concern as you think it might be, is very important to Paul. He spends a lot of time on it. And when he goes over it and covers it enough to say what it is, then he goes over it again and uh, drives home the reasons uh, for all of this, this responsibility, this additional responsibility of the strong towards the weak in situations where the strong might need to uh, limit their uh, behavior to match that of uh, uh, the weak. And so it boils down to this. It boils down to this. Uh, this responsibility covered in the second half of this chapter. Am I, by my actions, 
enticing my brother to do what for him is sin? Am I by my actions? Not, not by my words. He's not speaking about that. In fact, by his words, Paul informs the weak believer, but just by my actions, by what I eat or the way I observe. Uh, am I by my actions enticing my brother to do what for him is sin? might seem like a small thing. might seem like a situation that doesn't come up much. It's a large thing. It's a large thing for Paul, and it's a large thing for uh, the Holy Spirit. So if you're not ashamed of the gospel, and I hope that's true of everybody here, that you're not ashamed of the gospel, it means not being ashamed to watch out for your brother in that way, in that specific way, to ask that specific question. Am I by my actions enticing my brother to do what is for him sin? If you're not ashamed of the gospel, it means God is not ashamed of you. That's an amazing thing. And it means God is not ashamed of your brother either. Even uh, if your brother has funny views uh, that are that are uh, you don't understand, uh, those are important to God. It's actually important to, to God that uh, your brother honor uh, those things that he believes. And if God is not ashamed of you, he's not ashamed of your brother. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, then you need to not also not be ashamed to watch out for your brother in that very specific and detailed uh, way that weighed heavily on Paul's mind because it weighs heavily on the mind of, of the Holy Spirit. And if you're to reach out to your brother to watch out for your brother in that specific way, how much in every other way should we watch watching out for one another as well? Let's pray. Dear Father, we, th- we thank you for this uh, important message from your word about this responsibility of the strong to the weak. And so we pray that we would be aware uh, of this thing Uh, this responsibility, and uh, that we would understand how the gospel itself informs this responsibility in the life of God uh, yourself, uh, informs this in your character, this way of caring uh, for one another. We pray that we might grow in all ways of caring for one another. We pray that you might increase our unity in Christ, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.